Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day lads, welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. This is episode 113 and I'm this week's host, Dom Philp on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're coming to you free of charge just about every single Friday on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Best way for you to support is to rate, review, subscribe, the holy tricolon. Also, it really helps, we are told, if you get around us on social media. Maybe you'll get us on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. It's uh, at WSBFUN over on X slash Twitter. If you want us on any of the other platforms, it's Wrestling Should Be Fun, all one word. You'll get us on Instagram. TikTok, I think, has been going great guns. Oscar tells me. I also think there's probably a website somewhere, WrestlingShouldBeFun.com, but it also could give up a 404 error if you try to type that in because we haven't used it for, I would say, about four years. And, of course, why don't you get in contact with a friend or a family member? Why don't you ring your mum or write a letter to your nan? Or why don't you act this out with your friends and family on a balcony for your local community? Get around us, we'll get around you. Episode 113, I am joined by one of our regulars. It's the big boss himself, Ross Casey. Boss man, how are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thanks, mate. Really well. Absolutely gutted that I couldn't be there on Sunday with the boys, but really enjoyed your Instagram updates. Fantastic work as always, man. Yeah, yeah, of course, talking about progress wrestling at the uh, Electric Ballroom in Camden. So that was yesterday, UK time. It's Monday evening as we host this, so lift the hood a little bit, show you how the sausage is made here on the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. Yeah, Ross, so, mate, I don't know if you can lift the hood any further. Like, obviously, you're over, over there in the Middle East doing your work, trying to keep the family afloat, mate, but you seem to have the updates for progress quicker than they were happening live, mate. Like... Were you just following my Instagram or was there like some way of you keeping up with the results and the show from a live perspective? So I was in the production meeting, so I knew what was going on. (laughs) Obviously, I understand that. Like, I'm trying not to give away the fact that you knew everything before it happened. But I mean, like, you know, like you sent you sent us a photo of us standing there. Like, how did you have that? How were you able to see that stuff live? Uh, so Kat does a great job on the socials. So she was uploading photos very, very quickly onto the socials. And I spotted you guys in a photo that looked like you were next to CPF, which is pretty funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So it was more through the socials um, and the great work that Kat does there. Um, she had a great costume on yesterday. Kat, by the way, if you listen to this, you absolutely smashed the Halloween theme. It was yeah. brilliant. Which a lot of people did, Ross. Yesterday in a tennis at Progress, uh, there was a Michael Myers. Uh, a lot of people went the wrestling theme. Sky Smithson was a real winner. I think there was like someone did it like a Nakamura, I think. There were some no. really great, really great costumes. Um, it wasn't Tristan, well. was it? Hey, no Christian, mate. No Christian. Tristan as a oh, Nakamura. Christian. I thought you were saying. <laughs> For some, some there was some talk that I was going to dress up like Christian. No, um, <laughs> Tristan wasn't there. Man, I haven't seen Tristan for years. I'd love to see Tristan. I still like, you know, chat to him every now and then on like through social media or whatever like that. And you know, I wish he'd come back to a progress show sometime. He's good boy, Tristan. Shout out to cosplay Nakamura. <laughs> yeah, missed out on some free merch by not dressing up as Nakamura, which is Mate. just how we dress most chapters. So it wouldn't have even yeah. been an extra money. 
I'll tell you something else about Tristan. This is like only going to like make sense to like 0.1% of our listenership. But not only do you look like Nakamura when you dressed up, but he's also the best smelling bloke I've ever met in my life. He smelled like somehow a combination of like flowers and what I imagine like Prince's dick smells like. He, he just smelled so good. Yeah, that was Tristan, man. Best smelling guy I've ever met. Also, have you ever seen Tristan and Brum in the same room? Just a question. I, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even look a little bit alike. That's a terrible take from you. <laughs> hey, we are talking progress wrestling, uh, the long Halloween deal is there, and we're transitioning straight into what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Come on. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, long, long. Already started talking about progress, Ross. This week, what the nerds are watching is going to be to do with progress. Now, like you've already given away, you've buried the lead on it. You're in the production meeting, mate, but you weren't actually at the show. So essentially, um, I think what we should do, mate, is I know that in the Middle East, some wrestling on TV is hard to come by for you, and I haven't seen other than progress. So why don't we do a bit of a Q&A, mate? Anything you want to know about the live progress show yesterday, I'm, I'm open for all questions. Should we do it that way? Yeah, sure. Okay, so question number one. Brand new host, Mr. Jerry Bakewell, taken over from Simon Miller and SoCal Val, who weren't at the show, sadly. But yep. I've heard on the grapevine that Jerry Bakewell absolutely smashed this show. Yeah. Jerry Bakewell, what an absolute geezer. The first time I saw him do something like this was back at, remind me what it was called in the Res Gal. Oh, Jim- um, IWL? IWL. He used to do like live commentary on the microphone for IWL, I think. And I remember I absolutely hated it the first time I heard it because I thought like the live commentary in that sort of situation was like really overplayed. And I like, I was just like, you know, these guys are a bit rubbish and it was just loud and screechy and I didn't appreciate it at all. So in my mind, anytime I'd heard about Jerry Bakewell, I was like, who is this bloke? My only reference point to him was the live commentary. And yeah. then, like, I remember, like, my friend Dee, who's not into wrestling at all, but she's a performer. She's a burlesque performer, uh, Daria D. Collette, if you want to look her up. Uh, dear listener, she won Ireland's Performer of the Year recently. A fantastic performer. Go support her. She's Wrestling Should Be Fun's number one gal. But not a wrestling fan, really. And I remember that, like, Dee followed Jerry Bakewell. And I'm like, what else does this guy do, like, other than, like, live commentary from, like, under a hood, like Excalibur? And then it, I saw him announced for yesterday, and I'm like, geez, has this guy, like, what's what's happening here with this guy in progress? And I've rocked up, and I think he was just unbelievable, genuinely funny. I laughed out loud more times yesterday just from his little bits and, like, silly quips and stuff like that than I would have at a wrestling show for a very long time. So I assume that he has background in performing that isn't wrestling. Uh, I, I don't know if he does stand up. I never asked Dee if he's actually like, she must know him from somewhere else is what I'm getting at because his performance yesterday was a very, very accomplished and polished MC and probably some sort of stand-up or hosting stand-up or something like that. Someone said that he reminded them of like an 80s uh, stand-up comedy like Compare, you know, like the guy that comes yeah. on to comics. That was like what he was like. 
And the reason it was an 80s one is because he he does sort of do this character. It wasn't just, you know, himself. Jerry Baker was a character. So absolutely yeah, loved it. It's like a um character that you would see at a working men's club in the 80s, right? That's basically the vibe, right? Exactly, mate. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So when we spoke with Nina last week on the podcast, I mentioned Jerry Baker being a, a host on the show. And she said that Jerry's a very, very good friend of hers, but they've got like a bit of a antagonistic friendship. And uh, I was trying to praise his uh, work in pro wrestling and saying that it's a throwback. And then she corrected me saying, well, that's a nice way of saying that is old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I really, I was unbelievably impressed uh, because I didn't know what to expect. Um, It had been a while since I'd seen him live and there are a lot more strings to his bow than what I realized. So apologies that I wasn't on the Jerry Bakewell train earlier, but I am full-on card-holding member of the fan club now. So much so that after the show, we spoke to um, a couple of the members of the Progress promotional team, one of them being an owner and one of them being a backstage booker. And um, we mentioned to both of them that this guy has to have a job in some capacity with the company. Not that we have any sway in that, but (laughs) not yet anyway. So what was it in particular that Jerry brought to the uh, show? Was it just, did he keep the crowd atmosphere at a high level? Was that basically what what his tact was? Yeah, but it's like um, his charisma is completely different to the sort of charisma that I think like Simon Miller brings or that if I was doing the job um, that I would bring, like that kind of like, yeah, let's go, rah, 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 that kind of like upbeat, being loud, like trying to control the through like filling the space. He like fills the space as a performer with like this kind of like it's it's like this charm, like this boyish charm that he has. He's not like loud or overbearing. And in a way, like he does, he did little things like when he like jumped down from the ring, like when he was trying to get it on purpose, he's like, he sold his ankle, like he twisted his ankle, like as he got down off the ring and just like little things like that, that were like, just, just really funny in like an understated and unassuming way. And I think in progress for that fan base, like I think that that is sort of going to play really well. One of the major like jokes of yesterday was uh, there were two people whose birth that was. One of them was um, Charmer, who, uh, if you follow wrestling, should be fun. I think he's won a couple of the quizzes in the quiz in the queue before Camden events. Um, so shout out to Charmer if you're listening. Sort of you know extended friend of the group. But then um, so there was someone else who was like Cheryl and like it turned out Cheryl, I, I, I didn't catch, I don't think he asked her how old she was, but Cheryl was definitely a, at least a middle-aged woman, you would say. And yeah. uh, she was up on the balcony and then she got like such a pop, like Jerry Bakewell, like he said something offhanded, like with this sort of reaction, we should see if we can get you booked in the main event. <laughs> and everyone loved it. So then like a lot of the show and even in the main event, there was a lot of like Cheryl chants and stuff like that. <laughs> Amazing, yeah, yeah. And that is like, I, I don't think that that joke would have worked unless it was delivered by someone with that kind of like innocent boyish charm that Jerry Bakewell is bringing. I don't know. He's just so unassuming and in that way is fucking hilarious. I'm all in on it. Okay, so let's break it down. So you had like Smallman, right? So Smallman, when he did it, he was like, he's like cool, isn't he? Like, I mean, I know people have different opinions on Smallman or whatever, but his character when he did that, like he's tatted up, he's straight edge, you know, he's got, you know, the attractive alternative wife, 
he's got a history of being an addict, but he's overcome it and he's a stand-up and he's like gritty and he's funny and cool, right? So that was Smallman. And then like transitioned eventually, like they tried to find another cool guy, uh, like um, what was the guy that took over from Smallman before the pandemic? Uh, was it Matt Richards, his name? Yeah, Richards, yeah. So he was cool in a similar sort of way. Then you got Miller, who's got like the like overwhelming social media presence, not quite as cool, but more of a big personality. And then like SoCal Val, the big personality with the history and wrestling and also, you know, the unique selling point of being a beautiful woman. Now it's like completely different, gone full circle with Jerry Bakewell, who I think is deliberately uncool. It's like the Big Bang Theory being released and changing the way sitcoms work, you know, in the early 2000s. You know, there was just like a shift there and I think it worked perfectly for progress. It gets away a little bit from like the punk rock pro wrestling, we're really cool, we're better than you and we know it type of thing to, hey, come watch us because it's a really fun time and it's a fun show and now we allow kids in. And Jerry Bakewell is the perfect guy to look after, you know, I was about to say look after your kids. Maybe, but also, you know, just to to run that type of maybe yeah. sometimes family-friendly show, even though there was a lot of F-bombs yesterday. Yeah. I think Simon Miller fits that gap as well. But having interviewed him recently for the website, it seems as if his goal is to be a wrestler full time. There could well be a space for someone, whether it be SoCal Val or Jerry Bakewell or someone else. So it's up for grabs. Who's going to take that brass ring or that brass microphone? (laughs) If you listen to this podcast regularly, dear listener, you know that having my, what do you call it in politics when you like throw your support behind someone? Like my recommendation, like my support, there's a word for it. My allegiance is, it's a big deal for Jerry Bakewell because that means that I'm not gunning for your job, which, you know, <laughs> I definitely was gunning for Miller's job for a very long time. So, um, yeah, <laughs> Bakewell, it's yours if you want it, mate. Don't fuck it up. Bakewell, big hat on the back from the wrestling should be fun, boys. And then we went into the actual matches themselves, Storm. And from what I heard, Sanity got an absolutely brilliant reaction from the crowd. And there's a lot of excitement for their match in November, which was announced at the show. Sanity, including Eric Young, wrestling for the first time as a trio since 2018, facing Smoking Guns and Bullet, a match that is steeped in history for Demo in particular, as Dominatus Ranium in a roundabout way cost him the Progress Wrestling title when Spike unlocked his opportunity all those years back. And also Smoking Aces and Demo have had their run-ins. And of course, Big Demo lost to Bullet in Sheffield. So there's a lot of history there as well. So it's not just a kind of throwaway, this is a great match. There's also a story there as well. So I'm very excited for it. And it seems as if the announcement went down well also with the live crowd. Yeah, big time. I'm sure that Progress had announced that Sanity were all going to be together there, right? But the reaction from the crowd was the Eric Young announcement from Big Demo post-match. I'm sure that whether Progress had announced it on the socials, a lot of people reacted like they hadn't heard it. It really, it went over like a big surprise. So I think that, like, yeah, it, it did. It got a big reaction. I think people are very excited for that. People like Eric Young, especially, like, I think Eric Young's following in the UK would be as big as anywhere because of the whole, like, P&A thing here and how, like, DNA was like massively popular here. Like I, we spoke about it in our sort of uh, AW All In uh, recap podcast about just realizing how big of an impact TNA did have on the British audience there. Like it was sort of the number one game in town on free to air TV. So 
I think Eric Young's really popular. I think that Axel Tischer is as good of an in-ring technician as you'll see on the British wrestling circuit now. Um, he also low-key has like a little bit of personality that is starting to come through a little bit more with his dancing and like things like that. Yeah. He made a few jokes on the microphone yesterday. Seems like a really funny and personable dude, which I'm sure he would be if he works with Big Damo. <laughs> Go back and listen to Big Damo's podcast, one of my favourites we ever did. And then on the other side of the ring for the next show, I just don't think Smoking Aces have had a bad match in about five years, have they? They're just they're um, so good. They're so, so good. And I'm so happy that they're now finally being shown in the electric ballroom just as much as they were around the country. Because when they first came in, they were still having the great matches, but there wasn't quite the connection. But they've had time now with that audience and they're over and they're putting on just as good matches as heels as they were as faces. And yeah, I'm so happy for them. I would suggest better matches as heels than what they were as faces. Uh, well, I don't know what you're going to ask me, but I'm sure you'll ask me about the main event later on. So let's save it for then. But yeah, Smoke and Aces just absolutely crushing it as well. Yeah. And a little tidbit from that opening match as well was that Foster has told <laughs> Paul Robinson that the prettiest title has been stolen. Yeah. And he's made it a mission to go and get it for him. Yeah, well, I think a lot of us have a prediction about who might have stolen it. Uh, <laughs> something that I said yesterday about Costa is he's really upped his, like, suit game. He's actually quite a handsome bloke. And it is, in a way, I think it takes away from what he's trying to do as a character. Like, he almost actually looked too respectable and serious yesterday. It was you reckon hard. that he goes to a Turkish barber on the Saturday and then turns up on the Sunday? That's what I think he does. I reckon he probably does, yeah. He was too presentable yesterday. I was like, mate, like, you, you, you're too believable. You're going to actually start winning people over here. This is not what we want. You're meant to look like you've just, like, you know, you, your suit's meant to be three sizes too big for you. you. You're meant to look like, you know, your uncle's dodgy mate who can, uh, who just But do you not think that that helps you feel if he turned up like that and was starting to tell like say this stuff you would be like why does robbo believe anything that this guy says the way that he's presented makes robbo feel less idiotic for standing by him no i think robbo's your dodgy uncle as well i think it suits the whole thing cost of <laughs> like, you know what it would be it's like robbo's your dodgy uncle when you're a kid he's like, i've got a mate that can probably uh chip your playstation for you and burn you the games for five quid each <laughs> mate when you found out that that was a thing, that was the dream. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Yeah, yeah. And we move on to the uh, second match, Dom. And we've got a big win here for Tate Mayfair's. And not only a big win, but a clean win. Something that has been aimed at him in the past is the fact that he uses underhand tactics. And he started to move away from the underhandedness and it coincided with some losses for him. Then he went back to the underhandedness against Miller and picked up a win in fantastically brilliant heel fashion with a wrist lock victory in quotation marks after uh, hitting him with the brass knucks. And this one, he dodged out of the way of a uh, dive from Inamura and then picked up the win. Is that right? Yeah, so he, he actually used his finish, which is when he's not using the brass knucks, he does, <laughs> it's a cross-legged twisting brain buster, similar to Chavo Guerrero, but he'll cross the legs like Mike Bailey does beforehand. And that's his finish. Uh, I'm sure he's got a name for it. Take, get in contact, let us know. What you, Ross, do you know what he calls it? I actually don't know, no. On his socials earlier, he was talking about the golden spotlight, but I don't know if that was the literal spotlight that was on him or if that's what he's called it. I'm not sure. 
His entrance now does have an actual literal golden spotlight. The lights all went out a little bit like Charles Crowley and Charles Crowley's entrance, and then he's hit with this single golden spotlight like Batista used to be. Awesome. He make his entrance. Yeah, it was great. It was a it was an upgrade as well. Uh, Mayfair's looked a million bucks yesterday. There's no great analysis for this. This is not. I don't think you know people don't tune into this to hear an hour of us saying how good every single thing is. But yeah, uh, Mayfair's was great yesterday. He looked like he was hitting harder than Amur as well, um, wow. which is you know saying something. Mayfair's like he's laying his shit in. He got the win cleanly. People were shocked when it happened. And I think it has to be in Mayfair's future that he's going to see some sort of uh, title shot. I don't know whether we should be fantasy booking here anymore, Ross, but I think that let's imagine that um, a kid like us can somehow get the job done against Spike Trevay, which I'm not sure he will, but let's say he does. Well, you'd think that Mayfair's might be one of the first to come knocking on Lycos's door. If Lycos wins, it has to be a Hill contender, doesn't it? So you can't think of too many bigger and better ones than Mayfair's at the moment in progress because people hate him, and quite rightly so. Whether he's right now for the title shot, maybe he needs a bit more wins under his belt and uh, to make you dislike him even more. Uh, but yeah, for sure. You've been a big fan of him for longer than any of us in wrestling should be fun. But as soon as we got the chance to see him, we were all in on him. And that podcast that he did with us made him a star in our eyes. And I know that he's saying that he wants to wrestle major wrestlers now, not YouTubers like Simon Miller. I don't think necessarily that that feud's finished, but... Once that feud is finished, he is going to be moving on to some major wrestlers in the progress roster, I think. Maybe Jerry Bakewell's next in line for him. <laughs> yes. Tell you what, that'll be bloody brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> then there was the Aliyah James debut. What were your uh, thoughts on Aliyah James? Had you seen much of her in NXT UK? No, that's my answer. No. So she was entirely new for you? Yeah, I think so. Like I was familiar with the name um, and she looked familiar to me. And I, it was actually one of those where I was like, where I actually leant over and asked um, Shafi, who was there, where do I know Aaliyah James from? Is it RevPro? And he said, oh, it's probably NXT UK. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I didn't follow that product very closely, but I obviously watched it a little bit. Yeah, no, she completely impressed me. A uh, good athlete, but really like Nina Samuels getting the shine, I think. Nina Samuels is just seems like just more and more of an absolute star. I'm so pleased that we had her on our show last week. Uh, you did a great job there, but yeah, she came off looking like an absolute star. Awesome. Obviously picking up a win after her uh, loss last time out in that brilliant strikes midnight match with uh, Alexis Falcon. Then we went into a match where there was two wrestlers who had a lot to prove in terms of win-loss records, both Gene Money and Nathan Cruz struggling to pick up singles wins, at least in progress. Although Nathan Cruz does technically hold a win over Will Ospreay in progress in 2023, which is impressive. And Gene Money holds plenty of tag team wins in progress. But in singles, I think previous to this victory, he hadn't won in something like a year in progress, singles-wise. Uh, so two wrestlers that felt that, you know, they had to really win this one. It was kind of a do or die situation. And the in-ring action seemed to match it as uh, Nathan Cruz tried to get the cheap win as he did um, against Osprey with some nefarious means. And it looked as if Gene had been screwed again like he was last month. Technically not really screwed, but <laughs> um, it felt like a screwing. But he came back to win after the restart and picked up his first win in, in a long time. 
did you get some fun heel face dynamics in this one? Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought like the finish was really creative, exactly like what he did to Osprey. He put money's foot like between his own legs and then like made a slapping sound and claimed that he'd been low blowed. But on this occasion, there was a brand new referee there that got quite a good reaction from the wrestling should be fun corner. Um, so new ref uh, came out and asked for the match to be restarted, which I actually think sets a very dangerous precedent for progress. If uh, can they maintain that consistency every time that a ref makes a mistake? Because normally it happens four or five times on every show. Uh, <laughs> Oscar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom's the worst. Uh, yeah. Tom and Oscar wasn't there yesterday. But um, yeah, Tom and Oscar really struggle. So then we had the break and there was a fancy dress competition and it didn't feature you dressed as Christian, which is a shame. <laughs> nor the rock in the turtleneck that I was thinking about. Well, but um, no, <laughs> I went out for lunch beforehand, so I didn't really want to dress up. If I wasn't going out for lunch, like with all Holly's wealthy and successful friends, I probably would have done it. Went to a very posh London restaurant for a Sunday roast. Yeah, and I just didn't want to dress up. Fair enough, man. I feel like if James was at the show, then you two would have definitely dressed up. You seem like dress up, lads. Maybe, I. I'm happy to dress up if I've got the costume, but like obviously I've always had to make my own costumes. Like you can't just go into like, you know, Sam's party supplies and get a, you know, a four XL Superman costume. So um yeah. <laughs> I've always had to make my own in that situation. James loves to dress up. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he sure does. I've seen his Kevin Owens, very impressive. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Talking of dressing up and superheroes and what have you. We had ourselves a four-man, multi-man next for the Warrior Championship with champion Casey Navarro, someone who made a fantastic debut during its clobbering time and the show with Defy in August at the Electric Ballroom, got the Please Come Back chance and come back he did in a four-way against Brent Banks, Vaughn Vertigo and Jack Bandicoot, three wrestlers who all wrestled at a breakneck speed and I'm assuming just had a car crash of a match that was a load of fun. Yeah, it really was. Like, I think that um, booking Navarro in that multi-man was like a really good way to go. Like, I think that over AW weekend, Navarro impressed a lot of people, but I'm not sure if he completely showed just like how athletic and impressive he is in a fast-paced match. So in this, like, four-corner match, it was just unbelievable some of the athletic things they were doing, just completely modern wrestling, all of the counters, all of the flips. Every wrestler got to show off their best stuff. And at the end of the day, it was Navarro who shined the brightest. What a star he is. As long as his home promotion and progress here in the UK can keep booking him before he moves on somewhere else, it can't be a bad thing. But it wouldn't surprise me if we were hearing about Navarro moving on somewhere else in the near future because, you know, that person is an absolute star. Yeah, it's a blessing to see him. It's great that we saw him against Nick Wayne, actually, because it almost felt like a bit of a passing of the torch. It was almost like Nick Wayne was our guy that we were seeing previous to the blow up and he tagged out and tagged in KC and it feels like he's really fit in that spot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Next up, we had some pretty emotional moments where we had what was promising to be a banger of a match between Luke Jacobs and Warren Banks. 
And there was lots of talk about where Warren Banks was and why he wasn't being booked anywhere. And we weren't entirely sure. And it turns out that he is in mind for retirement, which is something that came across me really, really shockingly. I was massively surprised when I heard that it was happening. And when I heard it was happening and I heard what the plans were, I was so happy that the plans were to involve Gene Money because for me personally, that day three of Super Strong Style 16, having watched Warren Banks go through hell in that tournament with that torn arm that he was speaking to us about on the podcast preview to the Super Strong Style 16, I was so invested in that image of Gene Money coming down on crutches to help his friend Warren Banks leave the ring on his own two feet. It was genuinely one of the most moving things i've seen in progress and i've seen a lot of, of great stuff like that and the fact that they've gone back to the well with this story of the best friends the trainers and they're having the last match at vendetta i think it's a fantastic bit of storytelling and i really 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 hope it's a wrestling retirement and not a real one because we're big fans of warren banks here and if you're listening warren we love you man don't do it <laughs> But how did it go down in front of the live crowd? So you mentioned a phrase there. You said that watching Banksy go through Super Strong Style was like a really sort of emotional thing to watch. Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't half on what we saw yesterday in the promo after the match. The performance, and I use that word performance in quotation marks, of Gene Money yesterday in that post-match, I don't even know if you wanted to call it a promo, that, but like the in-ring segment, was as good of a speaking performance as I've ever seen in the Electric Ballroom. If you weren't at the show yesterday and you listened to this, go and seek it out. Demand progress, whatever. you. I'm sure there's clips around somewhere. You need on social media. You need to have a look at the emotion in this promo. Firstly, from Warren Banks saying that he is retiring and then from Gene Money trying to convince Banks not to retire. Uh, he had tears in his eyes. Uh, he's saying things like, you cannot retire. Like, you're so much better than me. You should be champion in every promotion in the world. You should be on TV. How can you waste your talent because you're so much better than me and I'm stuck here and I'm not retiring type of thing? And it was like, it was. you could tell that it, in a way it was what Gene really thought. It was real emotion and, and real talk, probably that they had in real life. So, therefore, that's why I think the term performance might be a little bit off. And then Banks says, well, I'll, I want to wrestle you on my last match. Let's finish it together. And initially, Money refused. He said, no, because you're not retiring. Um, and he said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be the person. I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. And then uh, eventually, he sort of brings him around and they're going to wrestle at the Big Progress show next month that we're all looking forward to. Straight away, people in the crowd were just like, well, I've just bought my ticket. That three-minute in-ring segment, it sold tickets to that show live. I would posit, I have no data for this at all. I, there's no way for me to prove it, but I felt like it was more of an important announcement because of the emotion involved and the way that story was told than the Eric Young announcement. I think that people were saying, well, I have to come now. I can't miss that um, because of just what we just saw um, from those two guys in the ring. Did you see it coming? There's no way of me sort of saying this without just sound like, oh, you're right, oh, idiot. <laughs> I, I kind of did. Like you said, you couldn't believe it when you heard about Banks. I, I, straight away, I was like, oh, they, that kind of makes sense. Just like a few of the things that he told us when he did our podcast, the fact that I knew that he's been injured 
I know that well, I think he's only had eight matches in the last 12 months or something like that. Yeah. And I obviously put two and two together to do with injury. I yeah. also know that like he, he has another job. He told us that when he, when we spoke to him. Yeah. He also doesn't live locally to London. I don't think he enjoys the travel to London. These are all things that he told us. So no, I wasn't expecting it. I had picked him to win against Luke Jacobs. I thought it might have been a relaunch of Warren Banks in progress. Um, so I can't say that I expected it. But when he lost and he got the microphone, it was almost like that scene in Big Daddy where like they have the surprise party and Adam Sandler's character yells out, shit, you're not proposing, are you? He's like, <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> and I, I sort of felt a bit loud. I was like, Fuck, you're not retiring, are you? I didn't say it. That's what yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it didn't surprise me. And it was a bit sad. Like, you know, that ever since we spoke to Warren Banks, I've been a huge supporter of him. Like, how could anyone that's spoken to him or knows a little bit about him not be a supporter of him? It's not just the fact he's six foot four and fucking massive and athletic and really cool and, like, does the Rashford celebration in his promo pictures. He is just like a really likable, personable guy as well. And he was so generous with his time with us, wasn't he, Ross? And yeah, um, amazing, yeah. And well, Ross, I, I'm the same as you. I hope it is a wrestling retirement, but I think we both know that it's not. This is Warren Banks. He, I think if you want to see him wrestle, you need to go and buy a ticket because this is going to be his last match. I'm telling you, it's, it is. Like, I mean, I know nothing is forever and times change and maybe six months down the line, he might, I'm sure he won't throw his tights away, but um, this is his last match. So if you need, if you want to see it, dear listener, you need to get yourself to the electric ballroom on whatever date that is in November. Yeah. I know that we, that you briefly said that we shouldn't fantasy book, but I have no idea beyond month by month. So I don't actually know where this is going. And my fantasy booking here is that, the friendships in wrestling thing is so over right now. And Gene and Warren can easily be Zane and Owens, MGF, Cole. And I would love Gene to be in the Super Strong Style 16 next year. And we get to round one and he comes out and he says, I'm not worthy of the spot, but I know someone who is. And then we get Banks and Banks wins. That's my dream booking. Yeah, I could see something like that for sure. But for now, I have to think it's legit. Yeah, yeah, sadly, sadly. But you can see from the outpouring on social media from the post that went out of how much he's loved in Brit Rest and hopefully that counts for something for him as well. Yeah, it was real emotion. And like I said, it was as good as as a good of a segment like that that I can remember seeing in, in that building. And I think I've been about a hundred times. So Yeah. I have said a thousand times on here that I think progress do storytelling better than anyone else in Brit Rest. And it feels like this was one of those moments, right? Yeah, definitely. Talking about yeah. storytelling, we had ourselves a unlocking in the next yeah. match where Alexis Falcon put it all on the line and said that she would never try and win the title again if, if she can't beat Lana Austin. And sadly, Lana Austin was able to overcome Alexis Falcon, but she forgot about the key. And Rio comes out and wins the title that Lana Austin's held for almost a year. And we've got ourselves a new women's champion. I'll tell you who else forgot about the key. Everyone in the ballroom. It was a massive, massive surprise. And for the most part, went down really, really well. I was excited to see Rio. Now, I think that we were talking about this a little bit in the Good Mixer afterwards. Some people said that they thought Progress might have done it differently. Maybe Alexis Falcon beat Lana and then Rio cashed in on her. 
I don't know if a baby face cashing in on a baby face works as well. I'm sure that's why that decision wasn't made. I also, you know, some people said, well, why not just Alexis Falcon? If you're going to change the title off Lana, why not the person that's been built to be over? And I, I think that those people are underestimating just how popular Rio is around the country. I'm not 100% sure if the London Progress fan has seen the best of Rio yet. Of course, we saw Thunderbastard. It was great. The one where she won the key, right? That was in Thunderbastard, Ross, wasn't it? Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we saw that. Obviously, that was that was brilliant. It was a big win. It was very emotional. But I think that Rio around the country has built up an incredibly big following, partly because of like some of the viral silly things that she's done off balconies and things like that. But also just I think that she's built up a real respect amongst people that follow women's wrestling very closely. I know that she's like a big wheel over there at Eve. I know that she's been put in the big matches at Eve, like against the big Japanese imports and things like that. I think that Rio really has more of a following elsewhere and it won't be long until she has a similar following with the North London Progress fans. Yeah, there's quite a few wrestlers, I feel, that for whatever reason don't quite click in the ballroom straight away. And and that's something that can be aimed at smoking aces. Like yeah. said, and it's not the lack of talent. It's just lack of exposure, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there are quite a few wrestlers like that. And sometimes like, well, you know, my one of my favorite lines is like, why are these people sitting on their hands? Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, how can people not be going absolutely crazy at the moment? But it's quite an eclectic fan base, just the specific ballroom fan base. It would, you know, it would be interesting to see whether certain acts would connect with that fan base or not. The first one that comes to my mind is Big Joe, my favorite wrestler. But I also worry that he would get shit on, like in in the ballroom, because other people have come that have been really over elsewhere, champions elsewhere, and they they just haven't gotten reaction in that building, which is strange to me. So yeah, it's it's very very interesting, but I think. Uh, as champion, I think Rio is going to win that respect very, very quickly if she hasn't got it already. I think it's quite interesting that Progress purposely didn't ram it down fans' throats of like, remember Rio's got the key? Remember Rio's got the key? And you like mentioned that everyone in the ballroom didn't actually notice. And it's quite clever how they actually built up Alexis and Lana over three or four chapters to the point where you like, yeah, you were all in on Alexis and Lana and you, and you generally forgot. And it actually makes you realize like you know lana took her eye off the ball and so did you <laughs> like it like yeah. you can see how how lana did yeah yeah 100 percent. like it's the exact same and it it was a genuine surprise if they wanted it to be a surprise it certainly was i think i don't think anyone was expecting it yeah and lana obviously has got a lot going on when a champion loses their title sometimes it's a bit oh what do we do with that character now but they've done a great job of her storyline with the lana austin experience of rob drake there's so much creative concepts there that she will be absolutely fine. There's plenty of work for her to be getting on with in progress beyond the title. Then you've yeah. also got Alexis Falcon moving on to her now friendship slash tag team with Charles Crowley. Yeah, well, you would think that the next match will have to be Crowley and Falcon against Lana and Drake. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I mean, that that's going to be good fun. Looking forward to that already. Crowley and Falcon have well i mean well, both both teams have real life chemistry so um i think it'll be uh that's a match that would be really really interesting like crowley is awesome um he's 
a person that really has connected with the ballroom fans, you know? And yesterday when he did a little bit of a run-in in that match, it got an incredible reaction. Um, I think people thought Alexis was winning. Ross, just settled an argument we were talking about in the pub. Is the stipulation that she can't challenge Lana anymore or she can't challenge for the belt no matter who's champion? Do you know that off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, I think it's ever. Well, yeah, well, there you go. I actually think she's only allowed to challenge if Cody Rhodes is the Progress Women's Champion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So that's the women's dealt with, and uh, it seemed like it was a big pop and a surprise. And sometimes a messy, and that's just the most important thing. It was also and- like just like it was also just like a, it was a really good match as well. Like I mean, like every match on the show, yes, it was a good match. That, that's boring analysis, but I, I don't want it to seem like it was just about the cash in because um, Alexis Falcon and Lana are both great workers. Lana did this really cool thing where she sang some mix a lot. Baby got back before she like. Gave- Alexis the hip attack. It was really Amazing. cool. Yeah. Just briefly, just giving flowers to Lana for her brilliant reign as champion. A fantastic reign and put the women on the map and gave us plenty of great matches and moments and gave birth to the Lana Austin experience, which has given a new lease of life to Sky Smithson and LA Taylor as well. So good job, Lana. And the main event was set up in the start of the show. Were you able to catch the start of the show or were you still in London Bridge with Holly's Rich Mates? Managed to make it for the announcement of the match. We also, this was one that you must have spoiled for us, Ross, because we knew this was coming. Uh, I think it was in the Pickens group. Uh, the fans didn't know that we were there. So there was a great announcement, really surprising, um, that we ended up with the tag match in the main event. Uh, Lycos Jim versus the Smoking Aces. I cannot say enough about this match. You know, the... So the I said to just to let listeners know that the stipulation of the match was that if Lycos Jim won, then Lycos would get his rematch. Yeah. So the um, just the match was absolutely incredible. It was just like one of the old school progress main events. It was like the old ECW main events with... Just all the bells and whistles, like it felt like, you know, yesterday there wasn't a ref bump, but like those old school progress made events with three ref bumps, 12 run-ins, every weapon you can think of. So what happens is Kid Lycos got absolutely fucked by Spike Trevay with a like a pile driver on top of five chairs. The chairs were set up in the ring. He did it on top of the folded out set up chairs. It was ridiculous. And then... um so Lycos is being helped to the back, which leaves Lycos two on his own. And then, you know, the Smoking Aces sort of hit him with their finisher twice, like the super kick tombstone, once on chairs, kicks out both times, manages to get one of them out of the ring and then hit a brain buster on an open-up chair for the win. Lycos two wins it for Lycos in unlikely circumstances against, uh, you know, three men. Spike Trevay was still out there as well. And it gets Lycos the shot. After the match, uh, we find out that if Lycos is going to get that shot, well, Spike Gervais got one stipulation or two stipulations. It's going to be no disqualification. And Lycos is going to have to put his mask on the line, not just in progress, but in all of wrestling. So huge stipulation for a huge progress show uh, next time that they're in London. Shafi said to me, why would Lycos agree to a no disqualification match? Well, 
there's a method behind that because of all of Lycos's big successes in matches over the last 12 months have been no disqualification or hardcore or street fight matches. We think about the matches with Chris or the match with Chris Brooks, you know, full metal Lycos. We think about, you know, the tag matches with Sunshine Machine. We had the the hardcore stipulations there. I think it's it's when Lycos really thrives and he knows that. I have no problem with the psychology there of Lycos agreeing to a notice qualification affair with Trevay, and I'm really looking forward to it. I think Lycos is even more over after yesterday because without hyperbole, it's the best main event that we've had in the ballroom for uh, probably 12 months, maybe even since the pandemic. It was as fun and as emotional and just fucking brilliant. And Lycos is now, if you didn't think he was red hot after Super Strong Style, he's red hot now. Just absolutely red hot. And I don't know what progress they're going to do next month, but I know that once again, I'm expecting the ballroom to sell out for the first time in a long time on the back of this. So two questions for you. Yeah. One, on a storyline view, did you get the like wrinkle that Spike Gervais for this whole time was saying how your weakness is friendship and I'm going to basically target Lycos 2. So in the past, they've taken out Lycos 2. They chained Lycos 2 to the uh, ropes and did the car noir stuff. Bullet purposely injured him at, at chapter 155 so that uh, Luke Jacobs had to come in at 156 in the tag match. And here, Lycos 1 is out of the picture and it's Lycos 2 that comes to the rescue and proves that friendship isn't weakness, it's a positive. And I think that's a lovely little wrinkle. And two, where do you think they're going with it? So, yeah, so the the first one, the friendship, is essentially the, well, it's one of two major allegories for the Harry Potter series. So the first one is essentially not to be prejudiced against uh, minorities. Like Voldemort hates muggles and wants to commit genocide against muggles, essentially. So that's the first uh, lesson. Don't listen to fascist dictators. Um, and the second allegory of Harry Potter is that friendship is more important than magic. Harry Potter is not real. He's nowhere near the most skillful wizard in the world. He's actually a bang average wizard. Snape tells everyone that the whole way through, you know. But he has one special gift above everybody else, and that is true love and friendship that surrounded him and just continually gets him out of fucked up situations and lets him avoid death. And if you didn't understand that from Harry Potter, you missed the whole point of the series. And that is similar to Lycos. The power of friendship is what has carried him this far all the way back, you know, before Kid Lycos too as well. He's always had that ability to stand on the shoulders of giants, but now it's time for him to be the giant himself, I think. And maybe it's a case of Lycos does possess true friendship, whereas Spike Chavay has only, you know, bought his own relationships with yeah. the bullet. The interview well, that I did with Spike last month, where Spike spoke terrifically well about the feud and he basically broke it down to the whole feud boils down to cunning from Spike Chavay versus creativity in Kid Lycos. So the no DQ thing is actually really clever, I think, because both of those traits fall really well into a no DQ match where who's going to come out on top, the one who's cunning or the one who's creative? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do, I think. Spike Trevay is an underrated deathmatch wrestler as well. Like, I'm not, I know this isn't built as a deathmatch, but I know we're going to get all the bells and whistles. Yeah, Trevay himself is underrated in that situation. Just from a match perspective, I think the match from bell to bell is going to be unbelievable, but the story, 
you, like you said, cunning versus creativity. It's it, yeah, it's going to be it, uh, it's going to be special. I, I'm just absolutely buzzed for it. I can't wait. Do you have it as fifty fifty? I think Lycos has to start favorite. So if you were looking at the bookies, Lycos might be in a two horse race, maybe two dollars ten to one, uh, whereas Spike Trevay might be about two forty to one. I don't really know how the UK does odds. It's different. You all do like 17 to two and weird shit like that. <laughs> in Australia, we always do odds always to one. So maybe, you know, two ten to one to two forty to one. Kid like us, I think, just as favorite. But the only thing I can think of is, is he ready to get rid of the mask and move on to a new stage of his career? I don't know. Maybe, maybe both. Maybe he wins the title and gets rid of the mask. Who knows? Like you said, there's more to the story to be told, and I think we're going to be there to see it live in November in the Electric Borough. I actually don't know, so I'm not going to spoil anything here. But we obviously know that Kid Like Us 2 took on the Kid Like Us 2 moniker after being just Joe Nelson as a wrestler. Yeah. I think we've both seen Joe Nelson wrestle as Joe Nelson. Yeah. Do you think it would be pretty cool if he does lose, that Kid Like Us just gives his mask to... Kid Like Us too, and he takes on the moniker as like, you've proved yourself to be Kid Like Us through all of this hardship in helping him in this quest? Or do the, you think that both of them need to unmask? No, no, no. Lycos. I think that if Like Us did unmask, I think it would be more likely that Like Us 2 carries it on, yeah? Like, almost like, um, you know, like a Tiger Mask situation. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever, you know, like... Tiger Mask was probably never going to be the world champion, but Masawa could be. So maybe I don't really know anything about Lycos um, in real life. Like I know that Lycos too is Joe Nelson. I've seen him work as that. The only time I remember seeing Lycos without the mask was when Chris Brooks ripped it off in the death match in the yeah, dome. Yeah. I don't know anything about him as a real person or anything like that. So um, it would be interesting to see like how he responds and whether, you know, without the mask, he can be that champion, you know, that all remains to be seen. But um, I think it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. But, I mean, I could see that happening even if Lycos did win, if he unmasked anyway um, and maybe presented it to Lycos too. Who knows? I don't know. If he unmasks, do you see him as Kid Lycos or as a new character? He'd have to change his name. He would have to be Stephen Smith or whatever. <laughs> I don't know the game. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. I think it's a show of respect that I don't know who he is behind his gimmick. And, he may, you know, to me, he is the gimmick. So it would remain to be seen whether he could make it work. But I also wonder, you know, is there comes a time when you do have to be willing to evolve and change to take the next step. Yeah. I remember um, he hosted, it might have been a progress show at the Dome or it might have been a, an attack show. And I'd only ever known Kid Lycoff <laughs> as the guy that wasn't allowed to talk by Chris Brooks. Yeah. And I assumed he was just, you know, an, a non-charismatic, bland guy because of it. And then yeah. I saw him do the hosting job and I was like, bloody hell, he's like one of the most charismatic guys in Britwest. He is. I'll tell you something else about him that I've noticed, just like that I don't reckon many other people would have noticed, but he's also like super fashionable. So I always notice, even though he wears like a Lycos gear, but any time that he's not wearing Lycos gear, he's always got really amazing trainers on. And like, I noticed that a few months ago he was wearing Odd Future Wolfgang Kill Them All socks. And like that's kind of cool. I liked Odd Future when I was a kid, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I noticed that like he does little things like he he just puts and he doesn't even mention them, but he does little things with his 
wrestling gear and his masks. He has special things for certain matches and he has callbacks and things like that as well. He has, like you said, the creativity in ways that I don't even think people have noticed. And obviously I think that his reputation in all of Brit Rest in all locker rooms is essentially like, well, you are now the leader. Do you know, like he he has gone from maybe being in the shadow of some others to being like, you're the leader here now, you know, with a major changeover of talent in the last three to four years. And like similar to, you know, Sunshine Machine, I imagine that they're leaders in locker rooms now as well. And of course, Spike Lake. And he, he is the leader. And I think maybe to make that transition to the audience in front of camera of what people behind the scenes do know and what you probably know, but you don't need to tell me, uh, maybe he does need to shed the mask and uh, get to show more of that charisma and creativity and, you know, being fashionable and, what you know, a new age Ric Flair. All uh, <laughs> Except instead of expensive suits, it's trendy skate brand shit. <laughs> what we're talking about, I'll tell you what else is fucking trendy is CPF. You ever see those boys' social media? No. They rock cool, trendy streetwear. Yeah. <laughs> well, even if the title isn't put on Lycos and they've gone through this process of having him win Super Strong Style, come so close to winning the title, then having to unmask, then having to rebrand himself, even without putting the title on him, if that's what's going to happen, they've still created someone for the future, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, yeah, it might not need the title. But yeah, like, let's see, you know, see what happens anyway. Looking forward to seeing where the story goes from here. I don't, I don't want a fantasy book too much, you know? I just, yeah. I'm just i looking forward to seeing the story that they tell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I was just making the point that if he doesn't win and he does rebrand, then it's like a whole new coat of paint on him, right? Yeah, yeah. And it'd be interesting to see how, I guess the, the fear is how does that story get told outside of progress? If the story is told within progress, well, how does he go back to RevPro as, you know, Colin Brown or whatever, you know? But like I said, I think he has, I think he genuinely is one of the most respected people in British wrestling. And every time I hear anyone talk about him, it's essentially that. What was the litmus test after that show that just happened on, on Sunday compared to where a few of the lads were post Super Strong Style, where they weren't quite sure if he was the guy? Where's the Lycos barometer right now? Yeah, I think it's in, it's improved again, definitely. The progress have built the story really, really well. So he just continues to grow. So, I, like, I mean, I was all in on him from the Brooks match, but a lot of people didn't see that thing. And I yeah. think once again, what you know, what we saw yesterday, and Trevay's done a great job as well, like building him up and putting him in over. Like, we're lucky that we also had the extra story of Trevay talking about him on our podcast. That was great. Yeah. Like we got to hear some of the story told to us firsthand by talking to Trevay on episode 100. You know, that that was after Strong Style as well. So I think that a lot of, put it this way, nice and simply, Lycos is as over as he has been after yesterday's show. Yeah. Great to hear. All right, let's do the round table. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's round table all to do with a Will Ospreay tweet that gave us an idea for a conversation. This is the Wrestling Should Be Fun Roundtable. Have you ever, ever felt like this? Have strange things happen? Are you going round twists? Have you ever, ever felt like this? All right, boss, this week you screenshotted it and put it in the group. Will Ospreay asked the question, 
what would happen in a North England versus South of England wrestling feud, who would represent both areas and how would it be booked? And then he went on and he replied to himself and said, no, actually, just weirdly, we're going to choose <laughs> seven territories. So he said North of England, South of England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, the Midlands, and for some reason, the Republic of Ireland, which has nothing to do with the UK, but it's Osprey's game, so he can do whatever he wants. Uh, <laughs> So I think that we thought, well, you know, if it's good enough for Big Willie style, it's good enough for us. How would we do this on a show and how would we create it? So I know that uh, Matt Brummett has got a phone in answer for us. He's booked himself a tournament, uh, which is a little bit different to the tournament that I've booked. Uh, Ross, I don't know how you've approached it. Have you done it tournament style, like one representative for each area or have you thought of it in a different way? Yeah, I just did a straight up bracket with the singles. Yeah. Okay. So there's a bit, we haven't been through this ahead of time. So there's a big chance that we're going to have a lot of similarities, which is the case when, you know, these sort of things happen, but yeah. Okay. Well, let's check it out, mate. So I've gone for an eight person tournament. So what I've got is I decided to add on as an eighth category. I've just called this the wild card. Uh, So my wild card, I guess, officially is probably also from the South of England, but I think that this person had to go into the bracket as well. We didn't really set rules. So the way that I approach it is essentially any active wrestler in the world, whether they're on TV or whether they are on the independents here in the UK, that I would book them. And I essentially tried to book it in a way of a tournament that I thought that I would like to watch. So first match in the first bracket, so this would be what, the quarterfinal stage. We've got the South of England versus the North of England opening it up. Representing the South of England, it's Will Ospreay. And representing the north of England, it's the Bastard Pack from Newcastle. Uh, And by the way, my geography is really bad. And I'm not from the UK, so I hope that Newcastle is considered the north of England. I think it is, but people seem to get really touchy about this shit in this country. So uh, is that acceptable, Ross? Will Osprey? Yeah, that's fine. And Osprey's going over in that. And then I've decided in the first round I'm going to book Northern Ireland versus the Republic of Ireland. So I think I've spoken about this one before when we did our World Cup episode. So Finn Balor uh, versus Big Damo representing the North. Balor's going to go over there, which uh, books him against Osprey in the, in the semis. We've got uh, the Midlands versus Wales doing our storyline uh, of a friendship. These guys are going to be connected for the rest of their lives. They came up together, of course. It's Pete Dunn from the Midlands versus Mark Andrews from Wales. Pete Dunn's going to get the win there. Of course he is. And then the last match, um, it's going to be Scotland versus the Wild Card. And, of course, you can't have any sort of tournament anywhere in the world without Zack Sabre Jr., the best tournament wrestler in the world, is going to represent, as a wild card, the Isle of Sheppey. Um, which is separated from mainland UK by a channel of water, I'm told. So Zack Sabre Jr. is going to go over Drew McIntyre, representing Scotland as the wild card, representing the Isle of Sheppey. Semi-final matches then, Osprey, Balor. Osprey goes through to the final, and we've got ZSJ versus Pete Dunn. Pete Dunn's going to go through and wrestle Osprey just because I thought Sabre and Osprey wrestled last week, and that would be a bit boring again. So... Um, Pete Dunn versus Osprey, I don't really care who wins it. I think that they're two of the best wrestlers in the world, and I'm so glad that I saw them both come up for when they were both kind of shit. They were never shit. But when they were both seen as being kind of unreliable and shit in RevPro and in Progress all the way through, so now they're probably potentially the two best wrestlers in all of the world. I love it. Yeah. 
Ross, how similar is yours going to be to that? Uh, not very similar. Not very. Brilliant. Excellent. That's great. Okay, so I put mine in a pretty stupid way. <laughs> yep. The first match is Nixon Newell from Wales against Becky Lynch from the Republic of Ireland. You think, oh, that'd be a good match. That was on Raw recently. But this is old school. So Nixon Newell comes out to Bewitched, even though she's from Wales. Yeah. And then Becky Lynch is like, I'm not having this. I am not having this. That's my bloody song. And she comes out in a green debut NXT stuff doing a terrible Irish jig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that match sorted. Then we've got the match between Scotland and Northern Ireland, which is, of course, Grado against Hornswoggle. Outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got uh, Midlands versus the North. So we've got two rappers. We've got Man Like Doris versus Bubblegum. Yes, brilliant. Where's Bubblegum from? I think he's from Manchester, isn't he? Well, at least he used to come out with a Man City shirt on. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then last but not least, we've got South, which is Pollyanna, and we're going to bring in the import as my eighth spot, which is TK, because TK loves to punch Pollyanna. He, yeah, that is a real callback. <laughs> yeah, just a normal Sunday afternoon in Auckland. I think I used to yell out when Tommy did it. <laughs> and then, unfortunately for this um, tremendous British tournament that gets um, really marketed online, it's hosted by 1PW, and then the money runs out, and we have to stop at the quarterfinals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That's a brilliant. I'm so glad that we didn't both just do like a boring straight up. I wish I thought of something more creative like you and undoubtedly Matthew Brummett has also done. So anyway, what we would absolutely love here, and I'm about to throw to a pre-recorded segment to Matt Brummett to close this out. But what we would absolutely love here on the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast is because we have answered Will Ospreay's question. If you are a listener to this and wanted to share it and tag Will Ospreay in your share of this podcast, I think that that would be absolutely fucking hilarious. And Will Ospreay is a bit of a mad cunt, so he probably will respond to it. You know, Will Ospreay is like the only wrestler ever who, like, shares my jokes at his expense on the Instagram. So, yeah, I it wouldn't surprise me if he uh, enjoyed our takes. Um, so we're going to finish up here live and we're going to throw to Matthew Brummett for his territories of the UK and Ireland uh, dream card. Hello everyone, welcome to Butland Skegness, and this is Brummett's Britress Mixed Tag Challenge, sponsored by Carpet Dry. So this is a, a straight knockout mixed tag tournament, and I'm going to get straight into the bracket. So the first quarterfinal scenes representing Scotland, Viper Nova, that's Noam Dar, and now known as Piper Niven, but um, going to be Viper in my bracket. As probably guessed, that's going to be Noam Dar being snivelly, trying to get out of action while Viper's doing the heavy lifting for him. And they're going to be going against representing Northern Ireland, Mr. and Mrs. Sanity. So that's going to be Big Damo and Nikki Cross. Nikki Cross will be attending the tournament due to a marriage exemption. So yeah, for this first round match, the finish is 
that Nikki ends up having a a loyalty issue in terms of between her husband and her home nation of Scotland and eventually ends up stepping out of the ring and Viper and Noam do the business and progress to the semi-final. From the other side of the top half of the bracket, we have David Finlay, who is on the qualifying in the, even though I think he was born in Germany, based on the Jack Charlton qualification element of having family from Ireland, he's going to be representing the Republic of Ireland. And as we've seen recently with Bullet Club breaking into the coloured-based factions, he's going to bring in Session Moth and they're going to be Bullet Club WKD Blue. They're going to be against Last of the Summer Wales. You're going to have to bear with me for a moment on this one. On the group, we've been talking about how Britress can best cash in on the 90s nostalgia boom at the moment. There's been some excellent suggestions by the guys, like bringing in Jet from Gladiators. I hope Progress are listening to that. I suggested, now this is an element I've become slightly obsessed with, is that we Mike Bird gets repackaged as Compo from Last of the Summer Wine. I'm going to go with that for our Welsh pairing, and as well as Mike Bird as Compo, I'm going to bring in Tegan Knox as Nora Batty, or Noxabatty. For this match, it starts off with a lot of Bullet Club shenanigans, but obviously with a special sprinkle of Session Moth, but then quite quickly the... Officials realise that though David Finlay is, gets in on the Jack Charlton rule, his dad's actually from uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland, so they're disqualified and last of the Summer Wales get a bye to the semi-finals. On the English side of the draw, the first one is going to be a Northern battle. First representing the North West, we're going to have Zach Gibson and Lizzie Eva. They're both big fans of Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> but I'm not going to be paying out any money for... IP at my at my tournament in Butlins. So like Pro Evolution Soccer did, um, I'm going to be calling that team Merseyside Reds. They're going to be going against Hull's finest of Alexis Falcon and Nathan Cruz. And they're actually in this tournament being sponsored by Hull's greatest tourist attraction, uh, The Deep. Again, if people haven't been, I'd recommend it. It's a fantastic aquarium. I think it's, it might be the biggest in the UK. Alexis Falcon's going to be dressed as a shark and Nathan Cruz will be dressed as a squid because that is what their sponsors requested. On this one, Alexis Falcon and Nathan Cruz are going to be hitting loads of their signature moves, including nans and fives and wan, which is how us people from West Yorkshire think people from Hull speak. And those signature moves are so good that they knock the Merseyside Reds out of the tournament. So the deep progress to the semi-finals too. And in our final quarter-final, we've got Zack Sabre Jr. and Nina Samuels, who will be tiny hat techers against the Bruiser Mates team of Pete Dunn and Millie McKenzie. Unfortunately, due to his arrogance, Zack Sabre Jr. insists on wearing his tiny hat for the entirety of the match. And when he gets into his submission battles with Pete Dunne, unfortunately, if any people listening to this uh, podcast are regular tiny hat wearers, they will know that despite um, the elastic strap that you usually get provided with a tiny hat, they are still quite difficult to keep on your head, especially when you're in an intense submissions contest with one of the best grapplers in the country. So because of that, Zach isn't able to execute a lot of his fancy stretches and weird submission moves based on uh, British pop culture references and strange experimental bands. And because of that, he loses out and the bruiser mates go through into the semi-finals. Right, so for our semi-finals, it's uh, the first one. We're going to be seeing Viper Nova 
of Scotland against last of the summer Wales of Wales. That's a really well contested back and forth match. But then Mike Bird as compo comes off the top rope in a bathtub landing on Noam Dar and picking up the win and progressing to the final. In the English Bay semi-final, Shark Boy comes out towards the end of the match to help out the deep because of uh, his affiliation with his seafaring brethren and takes out uh, Millie McKenzie. So the the deep progressed to the final. When we get to the big final of Last of the Summer Wales, over again, uh, Mike Bird as compo and Nox Abati taking on Alexis Falcon and Nathan Cruz of the deep. Nox Abati, this time, is aware of Shark Boy's interference. So immediately at the start of the match, she takes him out and makes it a very fair two-on-two. But then she only thought one step forward, while the deep thought two steps forward. And at the end, Hull's finest, Dean Windass, uh, dressed as a dolphin, comes in and takes out Mike Bird before he gets a chance to to use his signature uh, weapon of a bathtub. And the deep uh, win the tournament. And like with everything, prove that Yorkshire is uh, the best part of Britain and the best part of Britress. Thank you very much, Hall. Thanks very much, everyone, for joining us. Don't forget, best way for you to support us to rate, review, subscribe, and also to get around us on social media, on Twitter slash X. It's at WSBFUN, all one word, and at Wrestling Should Be Fun, all one word, everywhere else on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, Facebook as well. I think I forgot to mention at the start of the show, Shafi doing a great job over there on Facey. So get around us. We'll get around you. Thank you most of all to Ross the Boss Casey for starting this thing and carrying it and being the heart and soul, even when he's abroad. Thank you to Progress Wrestling for being the major topic of our show today. And thank you most of all to you, dear listener. We will catch you soon. Drink lots of water. Look after you, mates. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.